Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's me. So I'm recording this after the episode that you're about to hear. But I just got done seeing Cats the film and I needed to tell you all what went down in that theater. So as it turns out, a lot of things in this movie kind of work. There are a lot of things that are actually quite beautiful. This plot, this very loose plot that Cats has always had, which is essentially a community of cats gets together in a ritualistic way to allow one of them to be chosen by their leader to ascend to heaven or go to the heavy side layer or whatever you want to call it, be born again. That plot is for better or worse, much more spelled out in the movie. So there's no confusion to be had. Was my jaw on the ground for the first 15 minutes because it was so jarring? Yes, absolutely. Does the CGI sometimes feel unfinished and actually make the dancing look less impressive? Absolutely. Did I spontaneously break out into applause when Dame Judi Dench made her first entrance? Absolutely. It's drama at its highest. But was it the Rocky Horror Picture Show type experience that the audience with whom I saw the film had obviously decided it was before they even walked into the theater? No. And honestly, after sitting with them for an hour and a half, listening to them scream and boo and talk back to the screen, it kind of started feeling like high school a little bit where the cool kids are sitting in the auditorium making fun of the theater. Kids, I don't know, maybe I was triggered. Maybe this is a personal problem. My point is, go out, see cats, enjoy it, buy into the craziness that it is, and then get on Twitter and let me know what you think at a musical podcast or email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Either way, I want to hear what you have to say. In the meantime, however, please enjoy our episode dedicated to Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. And this episode is our first on the road episode. I'm in San Diego at the Old Globe Theater where they are currently performing a gajillion performances of How the Grinch Stole Christmas over the holiday season to amazing crowds, both young and old. And it's a tradition that has been here a long time. Yeah, we're in our 22nd year. And I'm sitting here with James Vasquez, who is the director of said production. And how long have you been with the show? Um, I've been with the show for seven years. Yeah? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, 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 for 17 years. 17? 17, 17 of the 22 years. Yeah. I don't think I realized that. I started um, uh, as Buzz Who in the ensemble. 
Um, and fun fact, I will be returning to the role of Buzz Who in tonight's performance. Yes. Right. Um, uh, and then I played Papa for a couple of years, Grandpa for a couple of years. Then there was a year where we revamped the show and took it to New York. And that year they decided to give us 14 performances a week here at the Old Globe Theater. Wow. So we thought, hmm, there should probably be a swing or somebody to, <laughs> to help out. Um, so I became the swing uh, and I've been swinging since. Um, so like, gosh, I don't know, swinging for 11 years now and directing for nine. So, yeah. you know, this show, yeah, yes. like the back of your hand. Yeah. I, uh, I've played every adult role in a performance except grandma, mama, and the Grinch. All the rest of them you've, per- I've, you've, I've played, um, on stage and performance and some kids, if a kid, if there's something that a kid has to do and we're missing a kid, then I will swing in and that's fantastic. Yeah. You're like a superhero. You're a, a Dr. Seuss superhero. I'm a who. And then sitting next to James is the current old Max, Mr. John Tracy Egan. Yes. So grateful for you to be here. Thank you for having me here. I was joking with you before the podcast that you are the reason why Frank Wildhorn writes all of those high notes and then expects <laughs> regular people to sing them. So thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. Um, your career is kind of insane. You have a lot of Broadway credits, but you also have a history with Cats. Do you I do. Know? I've done Cats in two different companies. I was in Zurich, Switzerland, um, where we performed 15 days a month in English and 15 days in German. Um, from 91 to 93. Yes. So the beginning of the month to the 15th was in English. Okay. And then for the rest of the month, the performances were in German. Oh, my heavens. And then I was on the national tour from 93 to 95, uh, playing Old Deuteronomy in both companies, or Alt Deuteronimus, <laughs> auf Deutsch. I'm not saying that this is the weirdest show that we'll cover on the podcast, but I am saying that this is probably the weirdest show that we'll cover on the podcast that has made billions of dollars. Billions. Of- so much money. Billions. And yet, I know you love it. Oh, so much. Why do you love it? What's not to love? I can think of a couple things. <laughs> well, I mean, are we jumping right into the story? Can I mean, right sure. Why not? Jump right into it. Why do I love cats? I grew up a... Um, <laughs> this could go wrong. Um, I, no, I grew up in uh, Southern California yes. and um, grew up doing youth theater in a mini mall where the sets were painted by our parents and my mom sewed the costumes and it was fold up chairs in the lobby and that's then, kind of fantastic. Can can we just touch on a few more details of maybe what you were doing in the mini mall? What 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 shows? Oh my gosh! Well, I played Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh. Nice. Um, I played the boy in the pink sweater in The Lion Who Couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a classic. It lion is couldn't, performance. Yes. He couldn't play baseball. No. He couldn't cook. He couldn't. But what he could do, we discovered at the end. I was an Indian captive, which I look back at pictures now and think that the makeup plot for our Southern California white cast was maybe not appropriate. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, you know, then I, at as a freshman in high school, went on a little bus trip with not even my high school, a neighboring high school that my dad taught at with their drama department to L.A. to see the first national tour of Cats at the Schubert Theater, the no longer standing Schubert Theater in L.A. No, don't even get me started. Uh, and I walked in to this huge theater and we were in the balcony, like near the last row. So I, I saw this enormous theater from the back and this enormous set. And then the lights went down and green eyes appeared in front of me (laughs) and green eyes appeared scattered throughout the theater. And then lights came up and all these actors dressed as cats and acting like cats. Listen, I can admit the ridiculousness of it. Absolutely. But to be 13 and to want to do this for mm-hmm. a living and to see these people on this enormous world that had been created who were singing, who were dancing, who were creating these wild characters for two hours and 15 minutes. I sat there and it blew my mind in that moment. I was like, Oh, theater, theater isn't just done in my backyard. Yeah. Um, it's done in a junkyard as well. Hey, um, you know, and I I think I love Cats really, truly, honestly, because of that first experience of it being my first big theatrical adventure. And so when you it, started the Schubert, I just want to ask, did, yeah. was it total immersion like it is? Like it was yeah, at the Winter yeah. Garden? 100%. Oh, 
Because yeah. that's, that was pretty special, too, they, to be in the atmosphere of the actual piece. Well, yeah. and what they did was, I, I believe, it launched a tour from L.A. Mm-hmm. So it sat in L.A. for, for quite a while. Um, so that they were right. able to. Right. I didn't do the research on the international companies, but do you have any idea how many? Oh, mm-hmm. so many. And there are many now. There's I mean, so many now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have friends who were who worked on the Zurich in Zurich, Switzerland, mostly the musical directors. Mm-hmm. Um who work in other countries. They've worked in Spain. They worked in South America. They've worked in uh, Japan. Right. You know, they've been all over. I mean, so the, when when we were running in Zurich, there was a company in um, Hamburg, Germany as well. Mm-hmm. Different translation in German. Oh. And then there was the London production. Oh. As well as the Broadway production and probably others, national tour and whatever. Wow. So um, some people who would come from the Hamburg company to join the Zurich, but they had to learn a different translation, mm. which was interesting. That's fascinating. When I was in high school, I asked for Christmas um, for as many different language uh, cast albums that I could get. Um, and I had the German company. I had a Japanese company. No um, way. Yeah, they were they were cool. And some of them were little like cassette recordings that had been made for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could find them, but I would listen to them on loop. Um, they were great. My first experience with cats was I was a young young teenager, I think. My whole family decided to go to the national tour coming through Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. We, you know, all pile in the Suburban. You know what year? Oh, I don't. But you might, it might have been <laughs> it you. It could have been mine. <laughs> Would you say 93 to 95? Yep, that'd be amazing. It might have been you. Totally. That's hilarious. All I remember, there was a great Marie Calendars. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I learned about Marie Calendar. <laughs> well, if you, yeah, I, I believe it. Yeah. I What I remember about that evening is that I forgot to bring my glasses. I was newly prescribed some glasses and like a dumb kid totally forgot them. Mm-hmm. And so I kept stealing my mom's glasses from her <laughs> throughout the production so I could see better. But then immediately bought the double cassette, went home and would choreograph the overture in my basement oh, sure. over and over again. Sure. At the same time, though, I remember we finished as a family watching the show and then got in the car and didn't talk about it at all. Because I think as a family growing up on Rodgers and Hammerstein, the expectations for cats were very different than what we received in the theater. Does that make sense? Well, it it was very groundbreaking. Yeah. I mean, everything about it. I mean, the storytelling, it was all pretty much sung. It was, but it wasn't. It wasn't as linear as in Oklahoma no. or, or even a, even Sweeney Todd. I mean, at least you knew what they were talking about, but because they were doing these poems, it was, we're not quite sure what the story is, but there was, there's a story there. There's a story we played. Absolutely. Um, whether the audience got it all the time, that wasn't, you know, known, but there was a story there. When do we break the news that, uh, that we did Cats together? Let's break it now. Yeah. Because I've done Cats once. It was never on my radar in terms of a show that I wanted to do. And then the opportunity came up to do to do it with this guy over here, yeah. Mr. James Vasquez. And we did it together. And I played Skimbleshanks. Yes. And you were... We, we can talk about this now. Let's do it. Because as with most regional theaters, there will be like a week of non-union rehearsals. Yeah. And then they bring in the union actors. And you have to play catch up crazily. Yes. So the very first day of rehearsal for me, they threw the entire... 15 minute jellicle ball on me <laughs> in four hours and i was drowning of course so that was insane but that was kind of my frame of mind for that whole first week was just staying above water yeah sure and we would get i i remember we got to the place where we we were starting to run the show and i'm still feeling completely unprepared and not solid on most of the choreography and i think i'm thinking that it's a mess and we would get to the end of the run and james and you would say all right, so let's work on the Grizabella entrance again. And I'd be like, seriously, of all the things, we're going to focus on the Grizabella entrance again? And we would do it over and over and over again. And I did not understand why we were doing this. After we closed our show, I went and saw another production of Cats that I had friends in. And that first Grizabella entrance came in and I went, oh, that's why James wanted us to rehearse this over and over again, because it is the one of the most essential moments of the entire show because it's coming out of so much choreography that hasn't stopped since the beginning of the show and then all of a sudden the show comes to a complete standstill 
and and the melancholy orchestration that you know Lloyd Webber created so beautifully if that doesn't land then really this story that we're talking about this plot which does exist in cats doesn't hold any water or weight for the audience so hats off to you for rehearsing that freaking <laughs> yeah, Grizabella scene so very, so it's often a very important moment well it's a big i mean i think it for for me it was always the the first big hit of the community you know, and where where we are heading as a community and where we want to head as a community and how we react to the community and respond to it. I got called by this local theater. They had um, a director and choreographer who had done the show for years in New York and they had to step away at the last minute. And so they called me and they were like, we're doing cats. And I was (laughs) like, I got it. And they were like, would you have any interest? And I was like, yes, what's the details? And I was like, I'm in. Yes, I'm in, um, 100%. And on closing day, when we were striking the set, I rode the tire to the heavy side. <gasps> did you? Yes, it was of, one of the of course you did. of my life. You had to. Beautiful. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. Talk to me real fast about being a director in a dance musical, mm-hmm. which, because we also did West Side together. We did. How do you feel about it? How do you like it? And how do you maintain kind of your <laughs> director leadership quality with it sure i think um you know i think uh well first of all i mean the west side and cats and 42nd street i mean all these choreo heavy shows are some of my favorite and some of the stories that i want to get out and tell i always feel like the best choreography is not this sounds obvious but the best choreography is not just look how many times we can turn and look how high we can jump absolutely but how does it service the story Mm -hmm. and is the movement actually furthering what what we're feeling and where we're trying to head. And so in a situation like that, spending time with my choreographers prior and really discussing the journey that we want to take. And I think, you know, having to step back a little in rehearsal and let them take charge for a few minutes, but always, always needing to step back in and say, okay, now that we've got that in our bodies, why? Story. Why yeah. are we moving like this? And yeah. what is what is this big gesture where is it coming from and 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 what does it mean and i think with something like cats the fun for it, of it was getting to create this community and mm-hmm. this language and the choreography was fun and fantastic and we did a lot of the original in the production that we did mm-hmm. at the risk of it looking like a dance concert we could have just made it very clean and said put your tail on and go right but there is a story mm-hmm. and there is emotion underneath it all and I think that's where I come into play. Yeah. One of the things I loved about our production of Cats is, and and any time I saw Cats where I was really moved by it, was when the whole junkyard felt alive. Mm. And we talked a lot about, uh, you may be off sitting on a, a cardboard box right now, an empty milk crate, but why are you there? What are you doing? How are you moving? How are you reacting? So there was constant life going on in our community. Yeah. Um. And it just felt alive. It felt like it had an energy that we hadn't seen in the junkyard for a long, that I hadn't seen in the junkyard for a long time. It's interesting because you just announced that you're, you're directing Hair here at the mm-hmm. Old Globe, which is also about another tribe. And yes. I've always felt that Cats was about a tribe. Oh, it is. You well, know? They call them the tribe. And, mm-hmm. and to, to fill that sense of community is, I think, one of the reasons why most of the Cats fans you'll find in the theater world are people who have done it. <clears throat> Because I think you're right. Because it, it, like James said, it it really is the dancing and the singing. It's emotional, so that's why you need a director who understands that. Otherwise, it's just dancing, it's just movement, you know, dead eyes, or it's singing with dead eyes, you know, which can be you can have a beautiful voice, but if there's nothing behind it, sure. Um, and I I think you're right. I think it's because we've been told a story and we've been able to sort of be a part of that family and that tribe and telling that story. And um, I have great respect for cats. It's like opera. Either mm-hmm. you lock in or you don't. Um, but yes, I think, you're, I think we are fans, people who have done it. But, the, but then to that point, I mean, theaters program cats. Because and, it makes money. And there's a line around the building to get in. Sometimes. That- I, well, I, I, and maybe, it, maybe it is now. Because I remember there was a time where I think it actually had burnt out a little bit. I remember sure. we went to Dallas and we got a letter that said, there was a letter from a woman who was a subscriber. It said, "If Cat shows up on my subscription one more time, I'm 
I'm taking my subscription away. <laughs> it symbolizes a big shift in musical theater. Huge. In every sense. It can't be overstated, the shift that this show brought. And I think that if you are a big fan of the American musical tradition that it was really, you know, popping and living in the 60s, once you get to 1983 and Cats comes out, you're like, what happened to my musical theater? <laughs> right. um, because it, it is revolutionarily different. Yeah. I think what I would like to do is actually go back a little bit and talk yeah. about its inception. So for those who don't know, Cats is based on a book of poems by T.S. Eliot, who is a famed poet who is American. He was born in Missouri in 1888, moved to England at the age of 25 to, to work. He ends up getting married and stays there, winning the Nobel Prize uh, for poetry. Much more serious stuff than than <laughs> cats. But at some point in his career, he writes Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats for his grandkids so that they could enjoy the poetry and grow up on it. And it's embraced by the Brits in a way that I don't know what would be here. Uh, Dr. Seuss, Dr. maybe. Dr. Seuss, yeah, oh, I'm sure. Go, yeah, go and you know, Old Possum was a nickname given to him that he like Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. Um, throughout the show, you hear Jellicle cats over and over and over again, and it's a nonsense word right. for for a general English speaker. What on earth does Jellicle mean? But T. S. Eliot was making fun of the upper British class, right? I think that, and also for the, it's also to hear a child say, jolly little cat. Yes. Mm. Turned into jellical cat. Oh, that's Pollicle dog was poor little dog. Poor yeah. little dog. It was one of his godchildren, I think. Who, oh, really? Yeah. That's so funny. In Andrew Lloyd Webber's book, he says that Valerie said, Valerie Elliot said that he was making fun of the British upper class for slurring. Either way, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So he has written this book. Andrew Lloyd Webber, who is a, a British composer of musical theater, at this point he's written Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, Joseph, and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, all of which have been hits in New York in America. But he's still, I don't know, I feel like New York still feels a little allergic to him. Uh, they don't want to admit that he's as big as he maybe is. <laughs> Well, when did the, this is a dumb question, but when did the British invasion of musical theater really sort of take cats. over? Uh, it, it was cats. It had, it had yeah. to be the 80s because mm -hmm. I remember being in, in New Yorker and going to the theater. There wasn't a lot going on. No. There were, you know, strange, probably only had a few shows at a time sometimes that were actually running. And then yeah. the British invasion came in and these things are still running. We talked about this a little bit in our Rent episode uh, earlier this year about how the American musical tradition was dying in the 80s. And part of it was because of the innovation of film and blockbusters, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, all of these movies were huge, huge blockbusters. And so how was theater going to respond? Cats was the first blockbuster. They figured out how to make a Star Wars for musical theater. Yes, And I, I think in, on some level, because we didn't figure it out in this country, we really pushed hard against <laughs> against that uh, that kind of tradition, and the Cameron Mackintosh productions really just took over musical theater for the mm -hmm. next decade. I think it's after Joseph Andrew Lloyd Webber, who is a really interesting composer because he he loves the classical tradition of music, and yet also seems to be really fascinated with the pop music industry and how to make money off of popular music. I'm sure growing up in speaking of the British invasion, the, the initial British invasion of pop music with the Beatles and everything certainly piqued his interest. And so the combination of those two things is really fascinating. At some point, he writes variations, which is kind of his classical version of, you know, all of the uh, Mozart's variations, all of, you know, all of classical composers. And he <laughs> decides that he he's going to make an evening of theater where Variations, which was well-reviewed, is the second half. And then the first half would be this poetry telling of Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. At some point, that totally gets abandoned because he goes to dinner with Cameron McIntosh, who is a famous producer in, in Britain. They drink like three bottles of wine. And at the end of that dinner, they've decided to turn Practical Cats into its own full-fledged musical. Now, Cameron McIntosh, 
is kind of the genius behind the the juggernaut that Cats became because he was the one who figured out how to make a blockbuster. He was, I think he's also the one who figured out how to get T.S. Eliot's widow to sign off on it. He decides to go after the choreographer Jillian Lynn to choreograph this piece about the cats because Jillian Lynn had worked with Trevor Nunn, who was the director of the Royal Shakespeare Company. So if they can get Jillian Lynn, then they they can get Trevor Nunn. And if they get Trevor Nunn, then that is a high-profile director. Well, and Trevor didn't want to do it. Right, exactly. And Cameron really pushed to get... um... Uh, like a serious he wanted yeah he, he felt like this could just be like a, a campy dance concert right that it needed to be a legit theater piece so they were pushing for somebody legit like um trevor nunn who had no interest yeah no and nowadays i think like the old globe for example does musicals but there was a time when the, the cheesiness of musical theater wasn't touched by serious theater companies sure and and maybe this is kind of a turning point for that as well, that when Trevor Nunn decides that he's willing to go into musical theater land, like all bets are off, then, you know, Les Mis happens, then all of a sudden, uh, all of these Shakespearean companies are now doing, you know, uh, the um, the Utah Shakespearean oh, Festival, yeah. the Utah Shakespearean Festival does two musicals a year, right, you know, um, that have nothing to do with good old bill shakespeare <laughs> so it I, I, that might actually be a revolution in and of itself so trevor nunn signs on and he gives them three rules he says number one judy dench must be in this piece yeah. number two john napier needs to be the designer and number three he has to be the director because even though there's obviously going to be a lot of dance he didn't want Julian lynn being the director like a co-director she needed to be choreographer he needed to be director they agree to all of those. Judy Dench is the first major star to sign sign on to this thing. And from what I understand, she was going to play both Old Deuteronomy and uh, Jenny Any Dots. No, I think it was Grizz. Was it Grizz and Jenny Any Dots? And Jenny Any Dots were you're right. a combined track. You're right. Yeah. Totally, you're totally right. I'm giving away the ending of the story. So yeah, so she she's going to be Grizzabella and Jenny Any Dots. Then she breaks her Rip, ankle her, or something? Tor- Tore her Achilles? Achilles, I think you're right. And so then ends up just having to bow out of the show because there's too much movement. She can't do it. Fast forward now, she's going to be Old Deuteronomy in the movie. Hey, everybody. For those who know me, it will come as no surprise that I love San Diego. I live in Los Angeles, but I can never stay away too long. What people might not know, however, is San Diego has a killer musical theater scene. And right at the heart of it is San Diego Musical Theater. SDMT, as the locals call it, is a professional regional theater committed to bringing audiences musicals all year round. All year. Take this season, for example. Are you interested in the classics? They're doing She Loves Me. You want something more modern? Catch Me If You Can is after that. And then Little Shop is after that, which, I mean, come on. So great. Not to mention they never shy away from my favorite tap shows, as evident by the cute kids in A Christmas Story tapping their little toes right now. Their company and productions have been honored by the San Diego Theater Critics Circle and the National Association of Women Business Owners, Go Ladies. They're also a leader in the nonprofit sector, partnering with a local charity for each show to raise money in their You Give, We Give program. So look, do yourselves a favor and get down to San Diego Musical Theater to enjoy all they have to offer. They're located at the Horton Grand Theater in downtown San Diego, which is walking distance from a gajillion restaurants. I got some handmade pasta there once with my family that was bomb. It doesn't matter what time of year you go because it's San Diego and it's San Diego Musical Theater. They're doing musicals all year round. Go get dinner and go see a show. And since SDMT are friends of the podcast, they have a special deal for you listeners. I already mentioned A Christmas Story, right? Well, they have one more week of performances. They close on December 29th. And they are offering you a special $10 discount on any regular price ticket for Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday's shows. Incredible. All you have to do is use the code word podcast. Use the code podcast and get a $10 discount to any of the performances on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday this week at A Christmas Story. And if you can't make it to A Christmas Story for some strange reason, get a season subscription because that automatically saves you 25%. For ticket info, you can go online at www.sdmt.org. That's 
www.sdmt.org. And when you go to San Diego Musical Theater, be sure to tell them hello from their friends at a musical theater podcast. Well, I remember earlier this summer when the Cats trailer for the, the new film, which, mm-hmm. I, which will be coming out this week, when that trailer first came out and everybody's brains broke, especially in Los Angeles and Hollywood. I think Hollywood people just malfunctioned and couldn't conceive as to how a project like this happened. And I think in the theater world, we were like, yeah, that's that's what we've been asking since 1983. Welcome to the club, because it seems so strange. And it is kind of funny that it happened over three bottles of wine, because (laughs) you do need a little bit of liquid, liquid courage, I think, to put two million dollars behind a show where where you're like yeah it's just going to be humans dressed as cats yeah. and and people are going to go crazy for it and it's going to make a billion dollars like who thinks that i would never have the guts to think that that was going to be the case so bless them for <laughs> for taking the the leap of faith yeah. right so uh, unfortunately judy dench bows out but they continue to create the show and when they go into rehearsals they go into rehearsals not with a script they don't have really this idea of what the show is. They find it during rehearsals. Sure, they did lots of improv in mm-hmm. that original rehearsal and, process. And it's a tradition that continues to this day, I think, with all of the productions of Cats. It's a term known as felinity. You take time to figure out how not to be a human acting as a cat, but that you are just a cat. What was your, when you went in, because you... You never originated a company, did you? No, I never did. So, so I always went in. So. so what was this that process like for you of So it was it was brief. So the you know, the because they're trying to get you in quickly. Well the first company I went into was the company where I was going into English and and um, German. Mm-hmm. So besides learning choreography and blocking and things, you know, we would have cat improv, but it was usually myself and maybe another actor going in. So it wasn't Dance Captain, many. maybe. Yeah. Right. So um, I believe the Grizabella and I uh, in the Zurich company were going in at the same time. So we, I think, probably had a, an hour or two of, of cat improv and just kind of discovery. Um, but and, and then on the national tour, we had a couple of rehearsals where the, the artistic team would come in and they'd say, OK, we're going to do cat improvs for a couple of hours. You know, let's talk about this and, you know, talk about the story some more. And, mm-hmm. It was a priority. It was a priority. That's cool. Uh, let's go ahead and talk through some of the cat characters, because uh, even though <clears throat> there is a story to the show, I think it's best told through the characters that, you know, make up the show. Let's start with Grizz, Grizzabelle the Glamour Cat. Who wants to take that one? Well, I- I'm interested to, s- to hear James, because James knows a lot of history of the of the story. <laughs> no, and no, and, and knows a lot and has directed it. And I've only <laughs> been an observer, but I would say that Grizzabella was... You know, she was a Marilyn Monroe or, a, a you know, Whitney Houston that burned out. burnt out, you know, and was looking to be forgiven for all sins and to be reborn. And and it's, you know, it's about second chances that Cats is about second chances. Um, and she is, you know, the point of second chances. Which is kind of genius because cats are known for nine lives, mm-hmm. right? There is kind of an inherent reincarnation type feel with this right. animal in general. So the idea of being reborn is inherent to the animal and something that then we as an audience can explore vicariously through them. That's kind of genius. What, what's actually so genius about it before you speak is just what it, what it, the show is about is it's just spoken in like two lines, which is, you know, they, the Jellicle Ball, they gather for one night to choose one cat who will live their life over again to be reborn. <laughs> and you think the plot is so beautiful and so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is kind of special. I mean, what what else is like that, you know? Yeah. I can't think of anything. I, you know, for um, as a director, having to approach it as a director, I, I had to take it out of the junkyard. And mm-hmm. I had to look at these characters as, um, uh, and their human qualities, and, and the story behind that, and who they would represent for me in, in life. society, life. Yeah. And then transfer that back uh, with the actors. But Grizz, from, Grizzabella for me, is sort of that representation of like you were saying, somebody who has had a rise, who was in the spotlight, um, who was known, and through circumstances or through age or whatever, started to falter. And I think in our world, unfortunately still today, we're so quick to push aside and to push those aside that 
aren't as pretty mm-hmm. or don't have as much or who are struggling a little bit. And I don't know if that's from fear that we have or fear of our own death and getting older. Yes. And-, and so I think the community around Grizabella, it's really a fear. You know, so the the I I agree the character of Grizabella is about second chances and about just wanting to be seen for what's on the inside. You know what's interesting is talking about society going to another cat, Gus the theater cat, who in many ways has a similar arc mm-hmm. as Grizabella in that he was a a dashing actor yes. in his younger days now ha- now is old and can't do it anymore and has a real identity crisis because if you've only known yourself as an actor and you can no longer do it then who are you right however the tribe loves gus yeah and he's a, endearing there's a sweetness there's a, a, a sentimentality a, yeah a sentimentality you know a want to take care of that they don't feel toward Grizabella at no. all, and I'm I'm wondering is that because she's a female, and we have we're not comfortable with women looking older, getting older, uh, more so than than men, or was she was she promiscuous? And there's that whole thing, you know. I I, I mean I think you know I well, and then you can get into some of the stories about the the lore the, the of, lore of right. McCavity and mm-hmm. Demeter and Mom Ballerina. And Absolutely. Everything. Um, this is when we all start sounding really crazy. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I I, I, well, I think with Gus, there's that idea of the old grandpa or the, you know, or the old doddering man that we, we run to help. But Grizz, Grizabella has been self-sufficient, I think, hmm. or trying to be and trying to work her way back into this community. I think she also left the community. Mm, good um, point. And... and where I don't know that Gus ever did. And so this idea of her coming back and knocking on the door saying, let me back in. She's a prodigal. This idea of, who are you? Mm-hmm. Why now? Mm. Um, you know, I think inclusion was also one of the big themes of the show for me. Yeah. Um, acceptance of those around us and the world around us. That's cool. Okay. We also have Rumtum Tugger, who is kind of the rock star of the tribe. He makes me uncomfortable. With his hot topic belt and gyrating hips, <laughs> and, and can I, here's this is this is where I maybe start to get a little catty. Um, when did Rum Tum Tugger? When did the approach to Rum Tum Tugger become super campy and over the top? So over the top. Right. There can be an androgynous feel to it because of David Bowie, and because sure. at the end of the day, right. this musical is so British. Sure, you know, in terms of tone and humor. So I think that he can be so glam rock, but there's also the technical thing where you're in you're in a leotard. <laughs> you know, like as it's a matter of honesty of playing it rather than playing at it. Sure, Mr. Mistopheles is a kitty. I love that in the tribe. It's very obvious who or I don't know. It's very obvious there are there are for sure grown up kitties and little and young kitties. Mister Mistopheles, young kitty, and he's also known as kind of the magical one, magical, magical Mister Mistopheles, yes. who at one point in the show, uh, after Old Deuteronomy is kidnapped, is able to bring him back using his magic powers. Yeah, and also turns. On a dime, that Mr. Mistopheles. Well, I think he's, you know, he has the lore of being a black cat. You know, black cats are have magic. Cat magic. You know, totally. Know I mean? That's a, a good point. A little mysterious. Yeah. So speaking of mysterious, we got McCavity, mm-hmm. who is, I, I once going into the lore, I had heard was Old Deuteronomy's son at one point. Like that, that was the rumor that I had heard. That never he, heard that. Do you know it? And that, that he I rebelled. And that he rebelled against the tribe, and oh, so yeah. Oh, that would have been a cool thing to to play. Um, yeah. No, the, I, I these are that. these are all of those things that I think when you do the show, it's really fun to play. Yes, they're not necessarily communicated to the audience. Oh, oh God, no. no, you know, and and I I wonder if people might even like it more if it if they were. Well, I used to think say we used to say McCavity was almost like Bill Sykes in in Oliver, like he. Oh. He was abusive. All of her had, exclamation. And that's what that's who Demeter's running from in the mm-hmm. beginning mm-hmm. of the play. When you see the girl, the cat getting caught in the traffic uh, in the headlights of the car, mm-hmm. she's running from him because she's a girlfriend. And yeah, but, but he's abusive and made her crazy or right. cracked out or something. Yes. 
and uh yeah, and Dem- he's a bad guy demeter is known as the uh, she's the female cat and who i think is representative of cats who are fine and then all of a sudden have a crazy right. hissy fit and right. you're like what is going on with them yes uh but it's always she has these hissy fits though when um whenever she hears his she name. senses yeah. I mean, you know that she senses that McCavity is near nearby. She she starts to feel and the fur rises and she starts scratching at the ground. So then once again, the lore is that McCavity and has abused her. Right. Or she's whatever it is that they have something that she's running from him. Right. From. Uh, not really running from McCavity is Bomb Ballerina because Bombie, man, she's uh, she's a sassafras. Well, she's somewhere between, you know, Grisabella and. She Demeter, might yes. she might be on her way to Grizabella territory. She, right. She probably doesn't have the super glam, but she cer- certainly has the sexuality. Maybe I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. That's a, I like that. Yeah. And uh, confident, and actually, and probably empowered. Empowered. Of the, of the most impa- empowered in some ways of. Uh, once once I saw a production of Cats where everybody was in like the traditional Cats costume except for Bomb Ballerina, who was in three inch Laducas and had to do the entire show in heels. What I always loved about our bomb ballerinas is there was one Crazy. big wigs. <laughs> there my what? wig needs to be bigger. bigger. <gasps> All the bomb ballerinas I've ever worked with, my wig isn't big enough. I need a bigger wig. It just, it just, they just wanted a big red wig. Dolly Parton time. Yeah. I miss this is jumping. Um, in the revival, yes. Oh, I missed the McCavity shadow dance that happened behind the McCavity number as the girls were singing. Oh, um, that's a great the name. Yeah, Monka Strap. Leader, leading man, I would mm-hmm. say. If we have like a hunky leading man of the tribe, it's Monkestrap. And the and a thankless role. We were mm-hmm. talking about that before. It's he's he really is like almost he works so hard. He narrates the entire thing. Mm-hmm. He takes us through the journey. And he, he he's the big gray one. Yeah, he and, should be and yet more he's credit. and yet he's just kind of ensemble with everybody else at the same time. He's also domesticated because he has a collar. Yeah, he has a collar. Which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And being groomed by Old Deuteronomy to take over something. Mm, love that. So Old Deuteronomy, prophet. Oh, absolutely. Leader. You know, Bombi's got a collar too. Does she? Yeah. I wonder if she's spayed or neutered or whatever. Probably not. Maybe mm-hmm. she is. Maybe that's why that's she's so why frustrated. She's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Any Dots. Also known as the Gumby Cat. I love Jenny Any Dots. And Why? Do you love Jenny? I, well, I mean, as a performer, I'm a tapper at heart. Mm-hmm. So I always loved the uh, Jenny and Edots number um, and when all the cockroaches came out. Um, Very clever. Yeah. For me, we got to that number and it it's the first, it's really the first cat of the neighborhood that we're meeting. Right. You know, and so it kicks off, it kicks off all the introductions of who are the kitties in our neighborhood. Her story is actually really cute too. The idea is that she's the, the fat cat who doesn't move all day, but then as soon as you go to bed, she has a whole life that you have no idea. No idea about. Yeah. Yeah. She's teaching the the cockroaches how to tap dance. She's teaching the mice how to sew. She like, and everybody loves her. She's, she's great. She's also kind of one of the older ones. She's a, she's a leader in the group. And I think probably maybe in the running to go on to the heavy side layer of, if well, Chris wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, I think I always like to think that that's sort of Monk's pick mm. is Jenny and he's just starting. Sure. And let's get us to the party. Yeah. Um, Going back to the re- revival, I have lots of opinions. Um, <laughs> I liked the Jenny. I liked the Gumby Cat number in the re- revival. Did you see it? I didn't see the revival. Um, I, I liked what they did. They they cut the tapping cockroaches. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, that's a shame because I always thought they were so clever how they made their cockroaches. Right, but they just brought a bunch of life giant size props out, and at one point the Gumby Cat goes swirling around on a giant mop, and oh, I mean it was really cute. Okay. There were some cute things that I thought they they did with that particular number. Going to Jillian Lynn's original choreography, she is a lyrical ballet mm-hmm. with modern influence type choreographer, not a tapper. So you look at that original Jenny Any Dots number, and that's some pretty oh, it's silly. Easy. It's some pretty silly tap dancing. It's easy. It's it's tap for ballet dancers. Yeah, right. uh, so I I can't I don't remember. Did they do tap in the they revival? Do. They do, and they and I'm sure it was probably better. They, they hoofed it up a little more. Yeah. Um, I remember that the New York audiences were really harsh on that number because you know tap is yeah. such an essential part of broadway dance that i think they kind of tore her apart and 
even though Cats won a lot of Tony Awards that year, she didn't win for Best Choreography. Shame. Just crazy. Because crazy. Because that vocabulary is legendary. I mean, even if you do revivals of Cats, you're still going to be riffing on those a lot of those angles and just style that she brought to to the movement. Yeah, I'm curious who won. Tommy Toon for my one and only. Oh, and that's tap. And that's and that's real tap. You know. Um, I really loved the re- the revival. Mm-hmm. I-, I think they did some some really lovely things to it, and I think Andy is a great choreographer. Mm-hmm. A- a controversial comment: I think he took the feline out of it. Oh, interesting. I did. I felt like a lot of the revamped choreo that he he did for the show, a little too human, humanized it a bit, mm-hmm. um, and. And while I was very open to updated choreography, I was actually very excited to see what they would do. Me too. I, I, I found myself missing some of the um, tradition mm. of it. Mm. Um, and it, it, it definitely felt updated, but lost a little, I thought. I, see, I understand that. This is, this is, I haven't seen the movie. I'm prejudging what I haven't seen. First of all, we have to take a bet. Do you think Peaks and Pollicles is in the movie? Oh, God, no. Absolutely no, not. They definitely cut it, right? You know, the original productions of Cats, they had the slink, they had the mood, they had, it was so all in it, perfect um, in the fact that it was one thing and you were in one atmosphere. Whereas I look at the previews of this movie and go, oh, here's the jokes and right. here's the pop music and here's the, this, you know, now we're going to take you out of what was an originally intentioned and made it uh, more commercial. Where it was already kind of commercial, it's only just... But they managed to make something experimental commercial, and I don't know how they did that. So again, I'm judging a preview. I'm uh-huh. not judging. Well, no, I'm, I'm not, but I'm saying like right. originally in 1983. Oh, God, yeah. This is an experimental dance. It was, it it was, was thought of as an experimental dance. Piece. But I, and then say, it, though, and I, the, I think it's something like a Hamilton. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, who thinks, you know, we're going to do a musical with Alexander Hamilton that people are going to flock to. Fair enough. So every now and then, some genius is something created. Hits. And everybody catches on whether they get it or not right they just think i have to go to that because everyone's going to it and mostly because it's pretty great yeah uh there are other <laughs> other kitties we can talk about but uh i just kind of want to hurry because i know you have to get to a show uh rumple teaser mungo jerry they're mischievous cats that work together right yeah they're 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 i always thought of them as the teen cats who were trying to figure it out mm-hmm. and um you know in a little bit of that, let's see how much we can get away with. Yeah, absolutely. Pushing lives. your boundaries. I, uh, in high school, I never danced until I was 15, 16. And then I sort of did it in high school. Um, and I probably because of cats for my senior year dance concert. Um, I got my friend Sarah and we did uh Mungo Jerry and Rumble teaser. <gasps> did you do the cartwheels at the end? Uh, we did. We did, we managed to get three cartwheels out. Yeah. And then she was, I'm short, and she's five nine. So I jumped into her arms at the end. <laughs> Give me that gender reversal. Yes. That's awesome. The yes. fun thing about being on tour is watching the Mungo Drain Rumpel teaser in the airport to see how many cartwheels they could do. Oh. Stop it. <laughs> While we were waiting for planes. Oh my gosh. They just go down. <laughs> just roll and roll. Musical roll theater roll. people can be so Run annoying, 10, but that's 11. amazing. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, Buster for Jones. Very posh, uh, overfed cat, uh, yeah. a, kind of a, a the one percent of the junkyard. Yes. I think <laughs> perfect, <laughs> fantastic. Syllabub, uh, a cat who sees something in Grizabella that the rest of the tribe doesn't. Well, she's like your Cindy Lou Who. She's yeah. the, like she's the one who recognizes the goodness and you know the ostracized. Who knew Grinch and cats had so much, in, so common? much in common? Yeah. Also, in furry suits. <laughs> the, the original syllabub. Sarah Brightman. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. Insane. Not in New York, but yep. in London. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've I've always loved Syllabub. It is that, uh, I think that perfect example of a kid who has not learned to judge yet. Mm. You have um, to be carefully taught. Sort don't of they thing. also say that she's Bum Ballerina's kitten? The, yes, I think so. And that so. Jenny Annie Dots is taking care of everybody's bastard children. Right. Oh my gosh, I hadn't <laughs> heard that one. That's hilarious. Victoria, the purity of the group. What do you think? Yes. 
Yeah, she's I the mean, she's the famous white cat that you'll you know has just the gorgeous right. She's dance just solos. beautiful, and I think she's who they're hooking the whole movie on, right? Right. The, the movie I think centers around uh, Victoria's journey. Like it's her first um, Jellicle Ball or something like that. Yeah, but that's I, what it looks like to me. It right? feels like they've sort of for the movie anyway. Again, based off the two minute trailer that we've seen, sure, um, that I've seen, it feels like they've sort of taken some of Syllabub's energy mm-hmm. of this fresh, wide-eyed, and infused it into Victoria a little bit. Interesting. I don't know. I'll find out Thursday night at 9.45. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, Cassandra, infamously the hardest costume to pull off because she doesn't get any leg warmers. No. So, like, God bless her. But everyone looks at her. She's constantly... Because she's stunning. That's best. I mean, I, 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 I'm... So alluring. I am getting low on time, but I have a bunch of things I have to tell you. <laughs> Please. First of all, Cassandra, I when the first time I saw the show, seriously, the only person I could watch was Cassandra. Watch right. Um, when like two years later, I came here to the Globe with my high school English class to see a production of Blood Wedding, and the original Broadway Cassandra was in the show, and we got to stay for a Q and A afterwards, and they were like, "Do you have any questions about the production?" And I was like, "Hand in the air." Um, <laughs> And they stopped taking my questions. First of all, nobody was asking questions. So I was like, I got another one. I got another one about cats. And it was all about cats. Yeah. And it was all geared to <laughs> her, yeah. to Renee. Um, I literally just wanted to talk to her about cats. Um, I'm I so obsessed with did that. did decorate my room when I was 14 years no. old, like the set of cats. No, you did not. I took a tire and I put pillows in it and made it a seat. I Stop took it. a trash can and made it my laundry hamper. I took Christmas lights and strung them over my bed. I can't. Um, James. And then oh Little Top of Horrors came out and I took that down and put a giant plant on my wall with vines hanging over the bed. We'll see, but that makes sense. Um, and then the last story that I have time for is um, <laughs> I took my friend, my uh, best friend from drama school, um, Carrie Preston, and I went to see Cats. She had never seen Cats. And we were both uh, freshmen in drama school and we weren't called for rehearsal that night. Um, and we were like six weeks into school, so we didn't know each other really. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to go see Cats. And she was like, what? Because she was there to like train to be an actor. Right. And I was like, they have $10 standing room. You can get $10 standing room. Let's go see Cats. And she was like, I've never seen it. Let's go. So we go. We get our $10 standing room. We're at the back. And I loved the standing room at the Winter Garden uh, because – the cats would come by, oh, or, oh. And, you know, and you could stand back there and you could secretly just very small do the choreography. And then at intermission, an usher comes up and goes, oh, we have two seats, third row center. Would you like them? And Carrie was like, third row center, we'll take them. <laughs> it wasn't until like five years ago that I admitted to her how angry I was. That you had, that, that we moved to third <laughs> row center seats because that meant... That at the end of the show, at curtain call, when they all came to the back of the house, da, 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 I wouldn't da, da, get to see da, them da, up close. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. You're you're a true meowing forever. Oh, I'm meowing forever. I, I like to believe I mean, that I created that hashtag, even though I know I didn't. It's a good one. I mean, I, I knew that you were a fan, but I don't think I knew how... further, meow and forever. Oh! You guys... Sweat. I hope it's that a was thing. A, it's going to catch on. I poster when you directed it. Meow and, <laughs> and forever. forever. Look... I'm impressed, beyond impressed. You know, we didn't talk about my favorite cat. Who is it? Is the cat that you played. Skimble! Skimble Fontaine Eisenbahn. I do love Skimble. <laughs> Skimble is the cat that I always, always wanted to play. He's like, he's the gunkle. He's the gay uncle. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, a, yeah. he's a great guy. Yeah, Skimble Shanks, the railway cat, also has the craziest time signature of all the songs in the show. Right, isn't that one, two, three? Is it seven, eight? It's crazy. It's something weird. It's the same Andrew Lloyd Webber loves his bizarre. It's the same as money keeps rolling in every Okay, you need to go. But I do want to say that the part of the show that feels most divine to me is in the naming of cats, which happens at the beginning of the show. It's a very difficult matter. And it isn't just one of your holiday games. <laughs> and it's it's something that um, the all of the cats come and just kind of speak in a Meredith Wilson rap sort of way to the audience. And I I'm I'm I guarantee that most of the audience tunes out after the first two lines. 
But it is the poetry of T.S. Eliot. And I think that it, the ending is really beautiful. It talks about how every cat has three names, essentially. Right. The name that is given to them by the humans, mm-hmm. the name that they have as a tribe, mm-hmm. and then a name that nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. And in the and that's poem, when they go into a trance. Yeah. And the poem says, uh, when you notice a cat in profound meditation, the reason I tell you is always the same. His mind is engaged in a rapt contemplation of the thoughts, of the thoughts, of the thoughts. Of his name, his ineffable, effable, effin ineffable, deep and inscrutable singular name. And I I, I really, the, that kind of sense of identity is something that's so cool in the show. To think that these people, or these people, these cats, <laughs> who, their sense of identity is so pure that they can, they can go and meditate for hours about who they are. Not to other people, not to each other as cats, but to themselves and only themselves. And that kind of integrity, I think, is actually hmm. really divine. And um, except for James, probably, just so you know, we would go out to children's hospitals and all kinds of hospitals. You'd get two or three cats who would volunteer to go to a hospital and dress in costume. Oh, how and fun. then we would do the address, the naming of cats, which you couldn't do unless you were standing next to each other because somehow. It was no one could ever remember it by themselves. That's by kind themselves. of profound, isn't it? So it In a hilarious sort of way. To go, okay, we're gonna we have to stand next to each other, and then when we would start to separate, everyone would just start to lick Fall their apart. paws or comb their hair or <laughs> wow. something because you you no one could remember it unless you were in a in the in the, That's in the tribe. It was very. Oh God! It sometimes haunts me in the middle of the night on loop. You just hear name, name, name. Just just do the beginning of it and then stop. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna remember. Um, Um, Oh, Jeffrey, I gotta go. go You gotta go. You gotta gotta go. go I adore you. Do you mind staying for just a little bit longer, John? I love you. Everybody, say goodbye to to James. Thank you, James. Thank you. You're amazing. We'll see you in the show. The other thing that I think is really cool about the show, or I guess not cool. But the game changer with the show is the merchandise. Well, that was a big thing for Cameron McIntosh. That's that was another. You know, he created merchandise. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all had cats T-shirts. Oh, I mean, sure. I do. It's it's turned into a blanket now. I made a quilt out of all of my old show a- absolutely, T-shirts. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I always find it fascinating that the shirt had yellow eyes, but it, we wore green eyes in the audience. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> well, but those eyes, those cat eyes, with the dancers as the pupils. Mm-hmm. You know, like take the Kardashians out of the equation, that kind of branding, that sure. singular branding of just one image to sell an, a show to an international audience, yeah. what it proved to be, you know, so important that, so that one logo. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think they ever really had to do much else. I no. mean, I think it always remained to be that logo. And, um, you know, like the Phantom is the mask and the rose. Mm-hmm. But, it's, you know, everyone knew exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, I feel like Katz is responsible for the, the all of the merchandise in the lobby. He completely created it. And, you know, if if Disney was in a, you know, was on Broadway, I mean, they're the king of merchandise, I think, at yeah. this point. But Cameron McIntosh really created merchandising, I think. Um, Souvenir program. Absolutely. And things, cassettes, hats, yeah. shirts, sure. everything. I mean, they, you know, you, you had certain things when you would go to the theater. But I remember, I think, remember going, you know, even with my parents as a young uh, person, we would go to the show and then we would go to Liberty Music to buy the record. Hmm. So they didn't sell it in the lobby. You went somewhere else to buy it. But that was sort of like a little tradition. Like you'd go to a show and then we went to Liberty Music wow. on Fifth Avenue to buy the record because there was no there wasn't something in the lobby there wasn't to do something that. in the lobby no you could buy i think it was you know the program and orange aid or something like mm-hmm. that boy it sounds like i'm really old but i guess i am <laughs> no <laughs> but you know the people have often said that the reason because cats was how long did it run 14 years on broadway it i got to go to the last performance did you really i did and i think um I, first of all, two of the best parties I've ever been to in my life were thrown by Nina Lannon, who managed Cats. She threw the record-breaking uh, party. When it became the, the longest-running. When it became the longest-running. And um, I was in Jekyll and Hyde at the time. And she invited every Broadway show to come to the party after the, their curtain came down. That's so generous. It was amazing. And then the, then I went to the closing night party, 
and um, and show. I was lucky enough to be invited, which I have to say there were probably a lot more people who were more, much more worthy to be invited than I was. <laughs> I mean, I was in the, the national tour for a couple of years um, and uh, it was a great evening. And uh, did they did they just perform the show as they did? As and, and then you, you absolutely it was just and the audience went crazy and wow they brought all these great people up on stage at the end mm-hmm. and uh it was it was an exciting night to see wow know, especially if you were in that company i guess you know the people who were in that company i think it had to be you know a great moment that's beautiful it it ran so long and i think that a lot of people have surmised that the reason it could run so long was that you didn't necessarily have to speak English to to enjoy it, which is interesting than why you how you learned it in in German. <laughs> and it's funny, and that's what it was about. It was about the written word. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was about the written word, and then it became an incredibly visual piece. It yeah. was a, a dance piece, and um, it was an atmospheric piece. Um, and so, with that branding, with the immersive nature of this being such a theatrical experience. And then the idea that you didn't necessarily have to follow a, a traditional linear plot. Right. You could have anybody who's coming to New York go to the Winter Garden and, and buy a ticket and, and probably just, enjoy it. Do you know what? Let's talk about the Tony Awards real fast because then we can go through the other shows that were there in 1983. So you were talking about how there weren't very many shows right. to see. And this is very true because right. le- let's talk about the be- the best musical nominees that year. I can't wait. Blues in the Night. Right. Cats. Don't which one? Starmites? Uh no, Starmites. Oh my god. That was no. that was one of the years. Yeah, that was that was later in the decade. So Blues in the Night review, right? Yeah. And then Cats, which one? Merlin. Oh right. Which was Cheetah Rivera as the evil witch in the Camelot story. Right. Um anyway. She yeah. so she's playing this the evil witch. Well, well, and then there's this magician playing Merlin. Yeah, it was, Henning, right? And it was just an excuse to have, you know, magic tricks. And then my one and only, which was, uh, you know, Tommy Toon's tap dance musical. Right. Then uh, my one and only is all Gershwin music. So there's right. nothing original in terms of that score. So for the best score nominees, you had A Doll's Life, which. Wow. Right. Which was a total flop and a, a, a sequel to A Doll's. A Doll's House? A Doll's House. Oh, I thought it was a, a musical version of A Doll's House. No, it's a sequel. It's after she leaves her husband. What oh, happens I didn't to know her. that. Even crazier. Cats wins, then Merlin, and then Seven Brides with Seven Brothers. Speaking of movies that are better than their, right. you know, uh, than their stage counterpoints. Yeah. Wow, that was... A, yeah, yeah, so it was a, it was a tough year. Yeah. Uh, Cats wins for best book of a musical. Fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Well, you know, best book of a musical meaning the script. It's through sung, right. and it's won by T.S. Eliot. Right. So I that's isn't yeah. that I have but no I idea how that's it, even possible. It had existed before. I guess it doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter how long it existed. It had never been put on Broadway before. So. Right. It's just interesting that he won a posthumous Tony Award for a book of a musical that really is only there because of the order in which they placed his poems. Sure. Fascinating. It's fascinating. And then once again, Jillian Lynn didn't win for choreography. That was Tommy Toon. But Katz also won for costuming um, and design. lighting. Yeah, all, yeah, the, all the design things. Yeah, that's... I can't believe it didn't win for choreography. No. That's really too bad. I do think that, that New York just was... A, it was a little too different for for New York. I, but it was I can't, so anticipated because I remember... Um, I remember, you know, the, the buzz of it coming over from London and, and uh, I, I saw it um, right around this time of year, I have to say. Um, my parents got my sister and I tickets to go and we had gone into the city and it was raining horribly. And we went to St. Patrick's Cathedral first mm-hmm. and we went to the theater. We were soaking wet and we sat in the theater and I didn't know what I was seeing. I yeah. really didn't know what I was going to see. I just knew that you had to see cats. Because, sure. You know, there wasn't a lot of buzz. There weren't a lot of pictures mm-hmm. out yet. Um you know, Barbara Streisand sang Memory. That was on the radio. How have we not talked about Memory? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which was a late installment. Exactly. Right. They knew that Grizabella needed a big moment. But once again, it was originally going to be acted by Judy Dench, right. who, while being a fantastic actor, is not a huge you know, musical theater belter. Right. Once uh, she leaves, Elaine Page gets the role. Right. 
and who is a big Broadway belter. And he, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, uses a melody that he had written for uh, one act about Puccini's making La Boheme that didn't go anywhere. He uses that melody that's very Puccini-esque to create memory. And then Trevor Nunn wanted to write lyrics. There was this whole story about who was going to write the lyrics. Finally, they get the lyric down using some of T.S. Eliot's other poems that aren't in the, the Book of Cats. Right. And create this great song for her to sing about, you know, when she was beautiful, what does it mean to return to beauty, you know, and live again? Yeah. And uh, and the song takes off. Takes off. It's one of those stories that you it, you always hear these theater stories about the song that they were going to cut or, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. They wanted to take it out of the, you know, Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz and, or part of your world. Yeah, all from of these songs that just come and you go, oh my God, that. That wasn't always it, there. It you might know. not have made it, it into the show. It, yeah. It's crazy. We were talking. Hey, James, our guest star. We were back. we were talking about <laughs> Android. Weber. We we totally forgot to talk about memory. Oh, yeah. I forgot. We forgot all about it. Forgot all about memory. How long does it take for you to get in the Grinch? Um, I have a pretty pretty fast face. I think I can do it in about five minutes. Seriously? Oh yeah, listen to it. Oh my gosh, no. I could never. When we did Cats, I could never get it down to under an hour. Wow. I, well, and I mean, it, 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 it's so fast while, in regional theater, but like with the warm up and everything, right. like right. I could, I could the never face, get it all down. The face when you first do it. Well, thank you guys both for uh, being on this episode. I appreciate oh, you so fun. much. And uh, part two. I have so much more to say. Do yeah, you really? really yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share a musical theater podcast. We're going to be taking the next few weeks off for the holidays. So be sure to catch up on all of our episodes. If you have an idea for shows that you want to hear, go ahead and email us at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter for more great content and uh, lots of fun discussions at a musical podcast. Thanks, everybody. Happy holidays. And as always, meow and fur ever. Okay, so literally sitting in the credits as the movie just ended, I have to say, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Um, There's a lot that's wrong with it. (laughs) Um, They made some choices that were really interesting that um, I don't know that I agree with. Uh, Jenny Anydot, come on, she's supposed to be darling, not this, like... I don't know. I didn't like Jenny any that didn't like the Gumby Cat. Buster Jones, they kind of mocked Buster Jones, too. And look, I know he's to be mocked, but they really sort of mocked him. Um, the communal, uh, the communal um, hairball that happened in the Jellicle Ball almost made me laugh out loud. Uh, Victoria's really good. I mean, she and Monkus Trap, uh, and even Mistopheles, I thought they were really good. I really liked them. The um, the CGI, I mean, at times, come on, just let them dance. Just let them dance, right? Just let them dance. When they danced, they were glorious. Here's the thing. Uh, sometimes the CGI was like, what? You couldn't tell what they were. Um, sometimes they had faces that looked like cats. Sometimes they were just people. And what was with the people hands? There was no attempt at, like, cat paws at all, ever. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Um, there you go. Oh, I also have to say, <laughs> my husband went with me and cried through the last, like, 15 minutes of it. <laughs> Sobbed. Cried. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.